Good morning, Axis. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. So excited, in fact, that I went to a very late night, very Latin wedding in Atlanta last night. And I was so excited to see y'all, I decided to just drive on up last night. So, very grateful to be here. A uh, little tired, but running on caffeine and the Holy Spirit. So, I'm excited that we can all be here together. No. Pretty much everyone else at the wedding was from Latin America. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited to be here with you guys. And it reminded me when Josh was talking about remembering and Memorial Day, I think sometimes we forget to remember how incredible of a gift Sunday morning can be, that we get this opportunity once a week to just rest and to reflect, and oftentimes to be reminded of things we know to be true and things found in God's Word, but we just needed to hear them and be reminded of them once again. So I hope we can all take that opportunity this morning to reflect and be reminded of and to rest. So if you guys want to join me in prayer and join me in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, as we continue our series in the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much that we can all be here this morning, Father. And I pray that no matter how we came here this morning, whether tired and weary, whether stressed, whether troubled, whether happy, or whether just kind of going through life right now, that God, you would show up, that we would find rest, we would be reminded of what is true, and God, that we would be able to reflect on our lives and on you and your word. And I pray you would help us to do that. I pray all these things the only way I can pray, and that's through your spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, speaking of memory, when I think about memory, a lot of times I think of a Pixar movie called Inside Out. Maybe some of you guys have seen it. And in that movie, they personify all of our emotions in our head as these animated characters. And one of the coolest concepts I think they talk about is this idea of core memories, that you might not even remember what you had for food for dinner last night, but you might remember very specifically and very vividly this exact moment or experience when you were like five, right? You might not even remember anything else from that year, but we all have these core memories, moments when we were kids that just stick out. And for whatever reason, we just remember them clearly and vividly. It could be happy, they could be sad, 
they could be confusing, they could be joyous, but these core memories that stick with us that we remember no matter what. Well, one of my core memories I was thinking about this week was a core memory of the ultimate status symbol for any sixth grade boy, and that was the basketball shoe. Growing up on Disney Channel movies, the jocks were always the cool ones, and the ultimate symbol of coolness and athleticness was the basketball shoe. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron. I had never had one of those basketball shoes, and so once again going to a new school in sixth grade, I was determined to reach that social status of the cool athlete jock with the Nike basketball shoes. So I asked my mom for a pair of basketball shoes. Did I get a pair of basketball shoes? Yes. Were they Nike basketball shoes? No, they were not. They were another brand called And One, which some of you guys have only ever seen at a Walmart, and there's a reason for that. Because And One's branding philosophy, I'm convinced, was to go down to the local Y, and whatever the 60-year-olds still playing basketball were wearing, that became their look. The shiniest, baggiest shorts, the grayest, blandest tank tops, and very basic white and black basketball shoes. And those were the basketball shoes I received, not Jordans. And so, as any excited kid with new shoes would do, I immediately wore them to mow the lawn. And they proceeded to become completely covered in grass stains. And so going into school, I knew I had to cover up for my mistakes. So I grabbed Sharpies, and with white and black Sharpie, colored in all of my basketball shoes. I was hoping no one would notice. Someone noticed. And as we were standing in line, a kid named Braylon Eckerd said, Hey man, is that Sharpie all over your shoes? And I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and then, as sixth grade boys proceed to do, he promptly had to announce it to the entire class. Hey, everybody, look. Andrew put Sharpie all over his Antoine basketball shoes. And I proceeded to lose my dreams of that social status of the cool jock in an instance. I put all my hope of my security in this status, and when I didn't achieve it, immediately came insecurity, thanks in part to Grass Stains, Braylon, and the An One brand. But you might ask, well, why did you care so much about these basketball shoes? And it wasn't as much that I cared about the shoes, but I cared about the status that they symbolize. We've had these status symbols we all look to all throughout our lives, that when we see them, it brings to mind some sort of status. And for all of us, we've always cared about status. Even when we were kids, we all wanted the status symbol of line leader. I still don't know why. All you did was stand in front of a line, and yet we wanted that status. We wanted to be part of the advance group, get the birthday party invite, be a part of the cool friend group. And as we got older, we wanted the status of successful and to make the honor roll, popular and well-liked and make prom court smart unique, different. For Claire, she wanted to be identified as a philosopher in high school, and she would say things like, 
Some people in life are thinkers, and most people are doers. And she would proceed to tell people they were doers. <laughs> and she was a thinker. I was more of a doer. I just wanted the people to like me and to play basketball. And so for all of us, it's a different status a lot of times we want to achieve. And when we grow older, it's not that we all grow our want for status. The statuses we seek just change. For some of us, it's the status of wealth. We want to have the symbol of the house or the car or a certain amount in our bank account or retirement fund. For some of us, we want the status of successful and hardworking. We want the job, the promotion, the title. For some of us, we want the status of the relationship or the partner. For some of us, we want the status of just being seen as a good person, just being a good guy. But the problem with all of these statuses are none of them are secure. As we've all seen in people's lives, you can lose the job, the bank account. You can lose the partner, the relationship. You can even lose in a single public mistake the whole image of being seen as a good person. And when we find security in these statuses and don't achieve them, it can often lead to insecurity. But luckily, each and every single one of us has the most important and valuable status one can have. And we find that in Ephesians 6, verse 17, when it says, take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. And you may say, well, I don't really see a status in that. You're just kind of taking a helmet. But back in Roman times, the helmet of a Roman soldier, which Paul was looking at a Roman soldier in jail when he came up with this picture, was a status symbol that you were a member of the Roman military, that that would be an indicator of the status that you held. And so Paul is encouraging us to put on our own status symbol instead of the status of Roman military to put on the helmet of the status of our salvation. But what's weird is, to get grammatical, which admittedly I hate grammar, but in this case it was convicting, when it says take the helmet of salvation, that's talking in the present tense. And so it's something we're actively doing, which was odd when I was reading this, because many times when we think about salvation, we think about something that happened in the past. We think about a time we walked an aisle or got baptized or said a prayer. And so if Paul is encouraging us to do something in the present, we can't get baptized again. We can't walk the aisle again. We can't pray a prayer again. And so I began to realize it seems to be less about a moment or experience of salvation and more about a status of salvation. You see, in the original Greek writing, it would have sounded more like take the helmet of the effects of salvation used as an adjective to describe someone who has the status of salvation. Or in other places in scripture when it uses this word in the Greek, it's used in the perfect tense and it is used with a passive voice, which may sound like a bunch of boring nonsense to you, but it helps us understand what it's talking about when it talks about salvation. It's not a past memory of something we did, but something that God has done. It is something that is completed, but is still having an effect now. And it is not something that we did, but something that we merely received that God has done and still affects our lives today. To picture it another way, it would be like the difference between 
accomplishing a CPR test and joining the military. Raise your hand if you've ever completed CPR training. All right, yeah, a number of us have. So with CPR training, you, write, you spend a couple hours, maybe an afternoon, and you learn the ropes, you learn how to do all the things. And then for most of us, unless we were going to become a lifeguard, it didn't really have much of an effect on our life afterwards. We were CPR certified, we accomplished the course, and our lives kind of moved on. Meanwhile, if you join the military, there's a point in time where, yes, you enter in and get that status of being in the military, but then the rest of your life, your life changes because of that status. The way you interact with your wife changes, the places you live, the way you interact with your kids, the way you go to school, where you go to school, your job, where you take your job, all of those things change because of your military status. And that is the difference in seeing salvation merely as in a moment and an accomplishment in the past, and instead as a status that, yes, at one point you entered into it, but it is still very much affecting your life today. And so when Paul is saying to put on that helmet, he's saying, don't just remember that moment, but remember your status. And that status becomes a protection of security as a helmet would for any good soldier. So what does it look like to remember our status? Well, just like the being in the military, that status comes with a lot of benefits. As a military brat, I've seen that. Great insurance. <laughs> and, uh, and being a member of the salvation status, it also comes with amazing benefits. And remembering our status of salvation reminds us of those benefits. So taking on that helmet of salvation is like remembering our status, that we can confidently say that I am a child of the God of the entire universe, who is not only my maker, but my father. And we can see that in John chapter 1, verse 12, when it says, yet to all who do receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, that we are his children. And in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 14, when it says, the author wrote, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well, that we are made specifically intentionally by God. And he is not only our maker, but our father. And in Matthew 6, 6, it says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father, who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That would have been radical for someone to say in that culture. That would have been far too intimate of a way to describe God as your personal father, and yet that is true because of our status. Remembering our status is remembering that I am utterly beloved and valued by God. And Ephesians 3, verses 18 to 19 show that. It says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is not too great to understand fully. And Ephesians 1, verse 5, says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great 
pleasure. In John 3, 16, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Remembering that I am a child of God who's not only my maker but my father. I am beloved and valued by him, and no matter how bad I am, he wraps his arms around me again and again when I come back. Pictured in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, verse 20. When the son strays away, but then he comes back. And so it says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. That he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And that no matter how bad it gets, God is with me. We can remember that in Matthew 28, 20. It says, in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you, Jesus is speaking, and he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And to remember our status that we have a God that did not just save us, that is not just with us, but actually went through and can understand what we are going through because he bore far more temptation and trial than any of us will ever face. And we see that in Hebrews 4, 15, and in 1 John 2, 2. When it talks about the trial and the sacrifice that he made, when it says that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. And in Psalm 103, 12, it reminds us that no matter what we do, our mistakes or our shortcomings, if we have that status of salvation, to God, our sin is as far as the east is from the west. In Psalm 103, 12, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has he removed our transgressions from us. And when we remember our status, we remember that I can confidently say that I am utterly accomplished and good, not because of anything I have done, but because of Jesus's and accomplishments and goodness that he has given to me to receive. In Hebrews 10, 14, for by one sacrifice, he, talking about Jesus, has made perfect forever those, talking about us who receive that status, who are being made holy. And it tells us when we remember our status, it reminds us that we can confidently say, I am intentionally important and unique due to the most purpose-filled mission in the world that God has sent me on with his purpose and his power. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus reminds us of that. When he says, and again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me I am sending you, and we are utterly accomplished, Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And in Matthew 6, 26, we are valuable to God. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? That remembering that status is not just remembering a moment, but remembering our salvation through God and everything that comes with it. And that status is secure, unlike any other status of wealth, good standing, attractiveness, success, or anything else we can find in this world. This status is secure. I imagine the security of this status like this. Raise your hand if you ever attempted to run away as a kid. Maybe it was a very feeble attempt. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, some of us, some of us did. Uh, right, but some of us, maybe we only made it to the door. 
Some of us, maybe we just made it down the street. For one particular youngster, he made it out of the neighborhood and then realized he had no idea what the world looked like outside of his neighborhood and promptly ran back to his parents because all he had packed to prepare was fruit snacks and juice boxes. <laughs> but I remember when I came back and when any of us stray from our parents and come back, does that change the fact that we are their child? No shot. Does it change that they want the best for us? No chance. And even at times when we're kids, we may deceive our parents. We may go behind their back. We may get frustrated with them, doubt them, and be confused by them. But none of those things will change the fact that we are our parents' child and that they still want the best for us. And even when I worked in volunteering with foster care, you could look at, in my opinion, not really the best parents. But the oddest thing was sometimes they didn't even know what it looked like, but they still wanted the best for their kids. And if that is true of our human parents that we all know have flaws, how much more is that true of us with the perfect father? that we may doubt him and be frustrated. We may run away for a time, but there is absolutely nothing we can do to change the fact that we are his child and that he wants the best for us. And that status is secure. And when we are secure in that status of salvation, it gives us security and protection, like a helmet would for a Roman soldier. Because the most dangerous spot for a Roman soldier to be hit would not be his arm or his leg, because you could carry on in battle. The most dangerous spot would be to get clubbed over the head. If that happens, you're out for the count. And the greatest place, it seems, the enemy wants to attack us is not necessarily our arm or our leg, but in the space behind the two eyes of every human we interact with, in our heads, in our minds. And like a Roman soldier, we too need a helmet of protection against those attacks. And those attacks often come in the form of lies and insecurities that we can believe. But when we are reminded of our status of salvation, it helps defend against those attacks. And that is the only status that ever truly will. You might think, well, Andrew, if I made this much money... I wouldn't have all these problems in my head, these insecurities, these lies I sometimes believe, this stress. If I made this much money, I'd be, I'd be good. Or if, if I looked like this, if I had this partner or this life, and, and I looked some sort of way, I wouldn't have, I could be secure in that. I wouldn't have any problems up here. Or you might say, well, if, you know, if only I was this good of a person, I, I really wouldn't have much battle going on in my head, lies to believe, insecurities to fall for. But through surveys and going to Bible college and ABC's The Bachelor, I have found all of those to not be true propositions. Because in reading surveys, there was an interesting survey once, and it interviewed people on how much money they would need to make to live their version of the American dream. And people that made, on average, 30K a year, on average, said they would need to make 60K a year to accomplish their American dream. And so you would think that people that made 60K would say, well, I make enough money. 
But on average, the people that made 60K said they would need to make 120K to fulfill their version of the American dream. So the 120K people are good, right? Well, when those people were interviewed, they said on average they would need to make about 240K to live their version of the American dream. And so it seems that even people we may look at and say there's no way they're battling and insecure about wealth and status, they may be fighting the same battle we do. And for some of us, we may say, well, if I was just a better person or more good of a person. But when I was in Bible college, I found that all these people that would one day become pastors and I expected them to be completely confident in their goodness and morals struggled just as much as I did and sometimes doubted if they were good enough. And in watching the ABC's The Bachelor, as humorous as it was, and I almost started laughing when I saw this scene, these two seemingly conventionally gorgeous people began to share with one another how they were constantly insecure about their bodies and relationships, which was funny to me because this guy was six foot seven, former NFL football player, head of a profitable nonprofit organization, somehow 300 pounds and simultaneously 1% body fat, with perfect facial hair and tan. And somehow that guy is insecure about how he looks. And the girl who's a former NFL cheerleader, as humorous as you could get, the perfect figure in hair and style, said just the same. So I think even if we got to the point we thought we would have enough wealth, look, or success, we would still not be very secure in those statuses. The only status we can be secure in is our salvation with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we're going to need that. Because the greatest places the enemy is going to attack us is in our heads. And he rarely does it with blatantly obvious lies. He usually targets us with lies and insecurities with just a hint enough of truth and reality that we might actually believe them. I kind of get aggravated that the conventional cultural image of the devil or the enemy is of a pointy, red-haired, knockoff Looney Tunes character. I think he is far more appealing, attractive, cunning, and smart of an enemy than a knockoff Marvin the Martian. Because he convinces us with these lies. He might say, well, you made this mistake. And yeah, there's truth in that. You made a mistake. And then he'll twist it and say, you made this mistake and no one else makes it. No one else around you. And I'm sure if people found out that they would not see you the same. Or he might take a lie, like, you might be a little unhealthy in an area, and he might say, well, because of that, you're this. You'll never be this. And he takes that dose of truth and reality and twists it into lies and insecurities that we believe. But we must be reminded of our status in salvation, that when he says, you're not enough, we say, I am enough, not because of what I have done, but Christ has done and is doing through me. He might say, you're not attractive, desirable, or compelling enough. And we say, I'm compelling and valuable enough that the God of the universe absolutely beloves and sees me as valuable and sent his son for me. And they might say, well, I don't think you're very important. Well, we're important enough that God sent Jesus in the same way Jesus sends out us out uniquely into the world on the most important mission the world has ever known. And I get it. Sometimes we can believe those lies. And I think sometimes we need community 
to remind us of our status when we forget to do so ourselves. That happened to me when I was in college, and as guys have a propensity to be really good at talking about the big game, sports, video games, and politics, they are not usually as good at talking about heartfelt convictions and vulnerabilities. And so for the first time in my adult life, I was completely honest and vulnerable with a guy friend of mine and told him all of my worst shortcomings, insecurities, and mistakes. And I will never forget how he responded to me. He looked at me and tried to almost get out of the conversation, felt extremely awkward, told me to be quiet, and generally did not really respond about anything I said. And in that moment, the truth that I had made mistakes in my life began to be twisted, that my mistakes were too much, that I would never be able to be vulnerable with anyone. There was no way they would accept me. And I needed a community to remember and remind me of my status, that I am beloved and valuable And because of what Christ has done for me, my sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. And it was in a group of guys that loved Jesus that I began to realize that they had just as many shortcomings and mistakes as me. And that we could band together and remind each other of what is true when we felt down. And sometimes I think we need a community to remember our status. And if all else fails, we always have God's word to go back to. And that's what I like to close with. The greatest reminder I've experienced in my life is a pair of verses I go back to again and again. And this morning I got my first Bible I ever really read through. These are my favorite verses. And it's in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 to 39. The author reminds us that no matter what happens, our status is secure. It says no. And all these things, talking about all the insecurities, the lies, the mistakes, the failures we might have. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for your love. That seemingly our status seems so audacious of claims to make, that we are beloved and valuable and important by God of the universe, but because of what you have done for us, that is true and secure. And God, I pray you would give us a community that would help to remind us of that status when sometimes we have a tendency to forget. And I pray you continue to help us put on that helmet each and every day security in our status of salvation, to defend against those lies, those attacks in our heads, and that, God, we would remain secure and safe in you, in your armor. Thank you, God. We love you. Pray all this in the way we can pray. And that's through your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.